Well, hello, everybody. It's good to be with you today. I hope you're enjoying the sunshine of today. You may have heard, we had to cancel our church service on Thursday night because of the weather. We don't do that very often. And I got to be honest with you, as a pastor, it felt very wrong to cancel a church service. Did you feel that, John? Yeah. I felt very wrong to cancel a church service. That might be the old Baptist in me that uh, was just feeling so wrong about it. But the thing is, is that we're here today. We're gathered together. We're making it right. We're uh, making it right that we can be uh, together, and I want to welcome you here. I've titled my sermon, Ready to Make Right. Ready to make right because there are things in this world around us. There are things in our own lives that we see as wrong, and we are ready to make right. We are ready to make them right. We'd like them to be right. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. I'm ready. And say to your other neighbor, if you've got one, or maybe the same one, to make right. Ready to make right. We're going to, we're going to talk about that today. Now, as I, um, as I get started, I want to mention we're in the middle of two teaching series. We're, we're in between two teaching series. We just finished one called In Focus. Pastor Jeff talked about some things that uh, we as a church can be focused on in the year 2022 and how we can be living and going forward in that year. And then also next week, as Steve mentioned, we will be kicking off a series in the book of Romans. I'm very much looking forward to that. It's going to be great to be going through that together. But today is completely different. We're in a very different spot in the Bible. We're in the book of Exodus. And uh, we're going to be talking about a story there that I think could benefit us. And it's a story that involves seeing the things that are wrong— and the desire to make them right. Ready to make right. Hopefully that's what we are about. Now, in Exodus, there's the story of Moses, and maybe you've heard this before. The story of Moses where he stands before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he's representing his people, and he says, let my people go. You've, you've heard that before, right? Maybe you didn't read Exodus, but you probably saw the Ten Commandments, that old 1956 movie with Charlton Heston, tells, us, tells the story there of Moses. Or if that's way before your time, before your time, maybe you grew up on the, the animated movie, The Prince of Egypt. There's another good, uh, good Moses story there, Uh, but we've all probably heard that story before, even if we haven't even read Exodus. And we're going to be looking at a part of Moses' story that's at the beginning of his life. Uh, The very first chapter of Exodus starts off with with Moses as a baby, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh is is feeling threatened by the Hebrew people, and he gives out this command that all the baby boys, the Hebrew boys, would be killed. So Moses' mother and, and probably many other mothers were putting their babies in baskets in the river to try and save them. That wouldn't be my first go-to strategy, but maybe that was the only option, right? To save a child, put the baby in the basket, put them in the river, and hope everything goes okay. Well, it turns out that Moses gets adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. What are the odds? Gets adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and grows up in the palaces of Egypt. The book of Acts says, when it's talking about uh, the story of Moses, says that he was raised in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in strength, speech, and action. So Moses grows up basically a prince of Egypt. So the, so the movie was right after all. But the, he grows up as a prince of Egypt, and he's, um, he's growing up there almost as an Egyptian, right? Now, we also see in in chapter 2, we meet him for the first time as an adult, and we see him as an adult who is ready to make right. He is ready to see the things in the world that are wrong, and he's ready to make them right. He has a heart uh, to make things right, and so he's all about that. And we're going to be looking at that today. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, 
And we're going to be in the second chapter here in the second month of the year 2022. Huh? At the end of our second year in a worldwide pandemic. No, I'm just, I, I'm not going to keep going. Uh, but, but yes, Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to be starting at verse 11. If you found it in your Bible, that's great. If you found it on your phone or your tablets, that's great as well. All those work. If, if you're not ready to, or if you haven't found it either of those places, I'm, I'm going to have them up on the screen so you can follow along uh, the verses on the screen as well. So we're going to start at verse 11. Again, let's just set the tone here. We're looking at a man who sees the wrong in the world and is ready to make right. So verse 11 starts like this. One day, chapter 2, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, Looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with a man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to his son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So this is uh, the story we're going to look at today. We're going to talk about a man who wants uh, to make things right. He's ready to make right in the world around him. But before we continue, let's pray together. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to look into your scriptures. I pray that you would help us to have open hearts and open minds and open ears to what you have for us today. I pray that I would receive your word, and I pray that each one here would receive your word. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So here is Moses, grown up, basically an Egyptian, but grown up as a 40-ish year old man, going, to, going out to check out the labor of the Hebrew people under the watch and supervision of Egyptian taskmasters. And he sees something go down that he does not agree with. He sees some injustice. He sees some, something that is, that is not sitting well with him. He sees a wrong that he wants to make right. That's what verse 11 starts off with. And I think that we could all agree, wherever we are in the room, or whether we're watching online, or wherever we are, that we see things in the world around us, maybe in the world in general, in general, or in our own lives, that are wrong, and we would just like them to be right. We would like them to be right. 
like a worldwide pandemic. That's just wrong. We want that to be right. Like racism in our, in our country specifically, or in the world, it's wrong and we want it to be right. Or how about bridges collapsing in Pittsburgh? That's wrong. We want that to be right. We want to be able to drive on the bridge and know that it's not going to fall down, right? We see some things that are in, our, in, our, in situations that are just unfair. We see scenarios that are unjust. We see, th- we see things that are just, it's just unreal how wrong they are. Why can't they be right? And this is Moses' situation. He goes out and he sees a wrong and he wants to make it right. And we can agree with that. We see things and we say, this is, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. It shouldn't be like this. I want it to be different. And Moses' heart is right there. He's ready to make right. And even though that's the case, even though that, that it's true of us, that we desire to make things right, that doesn't necessarily mean we know where to start. It doesn't necessarily mean we've got the right way of going about it, or even if our right is right. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes we come to that realization that maybe I wasn't actually rooting for the right thing after all. Ultimately, though, we could all agree there are things that are wrong and we want to make them right, and hopefully this story will help us get a better picture of what that looks like in our lives. And Moses wants to make this situation right, and right here at the very beginning of verse 11, it gets off to a rocky start. His endeavor to change some things gets off to a rocky start. Verse 11 tells that story. One day after Moses went out, he sees what's going on, and he sees an Egyptian who is beating up on a Hebrew, and, 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 he, and he has some things to say about it. Now, do you remember that show? Uh, do you remember that show, What Would You Do? What would you do? It was like one of those, it's one of those secret camera shows where they set up a situation and, you know, it's maybe a couple of people arguing with one another or it's someone who's, you know, it's all, it's all laid out, it's all planned out, but someone's stealing from, from someone or from like an ice cream cone stand or something like that. And the camera's sitting up on, on, the, on the scene and then there's an innocent person who doesn't have any idea that there's a camera there. And we, we watch them come in, and we wonder if they're going to, like, stop the argument or if they're going to be like, no, you can't steal that ice cream cone, whatever it might be. And so we, we, we watch it, and we, we observe to see if they're going to do the right thing, if they're going to make that wrong and, and, and make it right, take that wrong and make it right. Or if they walk away, we're just like, oh, my goodness, can you believe? Can you believe us as humanity? We cannot, we cannot do the right thing. You know, what a failure. And so we see that. Well, this, this episode, I see this as— uh, th- this, this story right here, that this is like an episode of what would you do gone horribly wrong, okay? So we're watching it, and we see the, the Hebrew slave working, the Egyptian slave, some, or Egyptian taskmaster gets upset about something and begins to beat up on this Hebrew, and the camera's on it, and we're just like, oh my goodness, what's going on? I can't believe this. And Moses, he doesn't know that we see what's going on. He walks into the camera, and we're, we're rooting for him because we know it's like, oh, this guy, he could do something about this. He could, he could make a change, and we're rooting for him. Come on, Moses, let's do this. Get it right, Moses. You, you can do the right thing. We see that he's bothered by the situation, and we want him to do the right thing. He wants to deliver this Hebrew slave from the Egyptian taskmaster. That's his desire. He wants to deliver him from from the Egyptian. Now, I don't want to skip past this because this word is important, deliverance. It's an important word in the book of Exodus. It's an important word in the scriptures, and Moses wants to deliver this Hebrew slave. 
You see, for Moses, making things right in the world, making things right for those who are oppressed, those who are outside, those who are weak, deliverance has to be part of the deal. Deliverance has to be part of the deal. For making things right in the world, for that to be a reality, deliverance has to be part of the deal. Everyone say deliverance. Deliverance. We just got to get that on our minds. We got to get that on our mouths. We got to be thinking about that. Deliverance. Deliverance is Moses' desire. And he's ready to make it right. He's ready to make right for the Hebrew who is receiving a beating from this Egyptian. And then verse 12 comes up. He says, looking this way and that. Looking this way and that. Have you ever looked this way and that? When we see this, Moses comes in, we want him to do the right thing, but when we see him look this way and that, we know something's about to go down. Looking this way and that. Unless you're pulling out at a four-way stop intersection, looking this way and that is typically a rough start to a bad decision. Looking this way and that. If you have kids, you've probably seen your kids when they don't know the camera's on them. Look this way and that to make sure that no one's looking before they whatever, steal the cookie or whatever it is. Looking this way and that, and the scripture goes on, seeing no one, he kills the Egyptian. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he kills the Egyptian, and we're watching that episode of What Would You Do? And we're like, whoa, 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 that was way too far, Moses. You went way too far, and everyone is like, every, all the viewers are like really uncomfortable, like this is not supposed to happen on network television. What would you do? Is It's going to be canceled. This is not good. Moses kills the Egyptian, and then he buries him. Actually, more importantly, what the verse says is that he hid the body. Because burying the body, was, that's the respectful thing to do with, with a dead body. But for Moses, the important part was the hiding. So he hid the body. Hiding was the important part for him. But we all saw it. We all saw what was going on. We saw it right in those verses, 11 and 12. We saw what you did, Moses. And turns out we aren't the only ones. We aren't the only ones who see it. Verse 13, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. The next day, we don't know if Moses went out every day to check the work and to see what was going on, to check the lay of the land. We don't know if that was a common for occurrence for him or if he just wanted to go out the next day and make sure everything is normal. Because you know what that's like when you've done something wrong, you feel you've done something wrong, you wake up in the morning and you hope it was a bad dream. And you're so relieved when you're like, oh my, oh, I'm so glad that was a dream. That I, that I didn't really, you know, steal that cookie from the cookie jar. Whatever it might be, I'm so glad it was a dream. Or what's worse is that when you realize it wasn't a dream. It wasn't a dream. Maybe Moses just wanted to go out and see if it was normal because sometimes we wake up and we're like, oh, it wasn't a dream. But we go about our day and we're just like, but is everything else going to be like it was before I did that really bad thing? Is everything going to be okay? Is everything going to be normal? Because Moses knew that what happened the day before was wrong and what he did to try and fix it was even more wrong and it just, did, it just escalated. And, he want, and maybe, maybe he went out just to see if things were normal. So he approaches two Hebrews who are fighting the very next day. The day before, it was an Egyptian taskmaster beating up on a Hebrew slave, but today it's two Hebrews, two fellow Hebrews who are fighting with one another. 
two fellow Hebrews who were fighting with one another. He says, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Verse 14 says, the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? The man is resistant to Moses intervening in the situation. In one sense, he's kind of asking, who died and made you king? And no pun intended. But who died and made you king? And I don't have, my kids don't say that to me, but there's a spirit of that when one of their siblings, um, or when I, they don't say it to me, but with one of their siblings, there's a spirit of that when they say something like, you're not mom, you're not the boss of me. You're not mom, you're not the boss of me. And it's especially evident when they sense some hypocrisy in the one who's being bossy. Like, I know that you, you already did that wrong thing, whatever it was. How can you tell me what to do? And that is likely what this Hebrew is feeling here. Who made you ruler over us? And Moses is here, and he's, he's basically with this understanding that he's being resisted from the Hebrew. Yesterday it was between two enemies, but now Moses wants to make things right between two fellow brothers, two people who should be on the same page. He wants to deliver the one who's being beaten up, but they don't see it. They don't see it. And it's not the last time that the Hebrew people, his people, will reject him in Exodus. It's not the last time. We'll see that come up again and again, but that's not the point. The point here for Moses is that he's been found out. He's been found out. They basically say, who are you to talk? Who are you to talk? But they don't see that Moses has any ground to bring about reconciliation. They don't see that Moses has any ground to make a difference considering that his actions before actually put someone in the ground. And so he's in this place where he has been found out. Verse 14 concludes, Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. You've probably said that before too. What I did must have become known. It's no longer a secret. He looked this way and that. He saw no one. He hid the body. He covered all his bases. But what I did must have been must have become known. And whether we come to this realization on our own or whether someone else draws our attention to it, whether we come to that realization that what we have done is wrong, the important thing is, is that we allow it to help us make a change in our life, right? The discovery of what we have done is a doorway for our own deliverance. The discovery, the realization, the awareness of what I have done wrong is a doorway to my own deliverance. It's an opportunity for me to take the things that are wrong that I have participated and make right. Sometimes that's what we need in order for us to be made right. That we need to acknowledge the things that we have done wrong or at least someone else needs to point it out. This realization is not what he was hoping for. When Stephen is telling the story of Moses in Acts chapter 7, he says this, in regard to the, this story about him approaching his fellow Hebrews when they're fighting, he said, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. They did not see him coming as someone who would rescue them. They basically didn't want to have anything to do with him because of what he had done. He thought it was going to be something else, but to make matters worse, 
They weren't the only ones that were opposing Moses. Pharaoh finds out. Words get, word gets back to Pharaoh somehow, and he wants to have Moses killed because Moses killed this Egyptian. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. We don't know for sure why Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. I mean, after all, remember, Moses is kind of a prince of Egypt. Maybe he had a right to do that. We don't know if it's a summation of a legal process that Moses was experiencing, but I think what the scriptures are trying to tell us is that in this situation when Moses kills the Egyptian, is that Pharaoh realizes Moses is not fighting for the same team. Moses is not fighting for the same team. He is defending the enemy. And by defending the enemy, he's becoming an enemy, and he's a threat, and now he needs to die. And so Moses finds out that Pharaoh wants to kill him. You know what that's like? I mean, not, maybe some of you know what it's like to be, you know, find out you want to be killed. I don't, I don't know what that's like. I'm going to speak to that. But you know what it's like when, when someone finds out that you're not, you know, you're not working in the same direction, you're not playing for the same team. And we know how frustrating that can be when, when someone that we've been rooting for and supporting and, and cheering for starts playing for the wrong team. I mean, any team, any different team is no good, but the wrong team, we don't like that very much. And this can hit so close to home because it was great when you and, when they, you and they were getting along so well as a friend or a family member, but then they started hanging out with Jim or they started dating that girl and they were trading in their black and gold for orange and brown you know and it's just harder to get along with them or maybe your neighbor you guys were on good terms but then you realize they were they were starting to vote for the other guy they were starting to vote for the other person and now it's harder to be around them well this is to the extreme Pharaoh sees Moses as a threat he's not fighting for the same team anymore he's defending the Hebrew he's defending the slave the oppressed the weak And Moses has to run. Moses has to run. This all started, though, because he wanted to make things right. Remember that. This all started because he wanted to make things right. And Pharaoh's pursuit leads Moses to Midian, where he finds himself sitting down by a well. Just in these four verses... Moses has been working and fighting and killing and hiding and confronting and running and now resettling and then finally sitting by a well. The well is obviously a place where we get what? Oh, I know you can do that. You're the 1045 service. The well is obviously a place where you can get what? Water, yes. And so he's most likely there to get refreshment, to get a drink, to get water. But the, the well is an important th- place, not just for personal, you know, drink, but it was, it was a place where you, you would get your water for your supply, home supply. If you were a shepherd, you got water there for your flocks. And not just that, the well was a place in the middle of town where people would meet together, where business was happening, where ac- there was a lot of activity at the well. And not just that, even more than that, the well is brought up in the scriptures at different times. You see the, the well come up in stories before Moses in the book of Genesis. You see the well come up in later stories as well. The well is a significant place, and we don't want to miss this. I know it's just passing. He sat down by a well. But there's something here, I think. The well is not only a place 
of refreshment and gathering. But in the scriptures, we also know it of, as a place in, of, of confrontation, of personal conflict, of, of cultural conflict. It's a place where romance begins. It's a place where restoration can happen. And because of all this, we see that it is a place where life can, where life can be changed, where the direction of someone's life can change. It kind of sounds like church, right? <laughs> there can be conflict. There can be, there can be restoration. There, romance can begin there. There can be a possibility of life change. kind of sounds like church, or maybe it sounds like social media. I don't know. Maybe pick, pick one of those things. But it sounds like something like that. It's a significant place. There's a lot happening there, and there's a lot of potential there. And Moses is sitting by a well. Let's just step out of that story for a second. Think about a story that comes much later with Jesus. Jesus is also on the run in the book of John, and he's also on the run in, in John chapter 4. He's, he's running from uh, some expectations that people have of him, and he goes to sit by a well in Samaria, and up uh, comes a Samaritan woman right in the middle of the day, and he has an interaction with her. And think about this. There's confrontation. There's conflict within her. There is co cultural conflict between Samaritans and Jews. There is talk of romance, and not just the romance, the relationships that she had over and over again before she got to this point, but there is a talk of divine romance that she would have with the Spirit of God. There is also talk of restoration, and she, she is restored in this conversation with Jesus. And there is invitation to reconciliation between Samaritan and Jew. Just in this one encounter at the well, Jesus is demonstrating that he is not only ready, but already making the wrong things in this world right. Just in this one encounter at the well. And now here we get back to Moses, who is driven to the well in Midian. Let's pick it up there. Verse 16, Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Moses is sitting there probably thinking, I mean, if he's like, if he's like us, he's probably thinking he's done with conflict resolution. That didn't go, that has not gone well for him the last few days. He's done with conflict resolution. Possibly he's thinking that. Just sitting there, probably getting a drink of water. And then it comes up that there is some uh, daughters of a priest who come up to get water, who are confronted by some shepherds. Moses, in his, his personality, he can't just sit there. He can't just scroll on Facebook. He's, he, you know, he's not going to just scroll and like not make comments or get involved in debates. He's got to, he's got to say something. He's got to do something. And in this situation, it's the same thing. He can't just, he can't just sit there. He can't help himself. He's wired to try and make things right. He is wired to deliver. He is wired to deliver. So when the seven daughters of the priest of Midian get harassed by some local shepherd goons, Moses can't help himself but step in and not only rescue them and give them water, but give water to all their flock as well. The heart of a true deliverer will not only notice the need of the weak, of the oppressed, of the outsider. They will not only notice the need, but understand the need to intercede and courageously intervene. 
Now, I'm going to say that again, but I want you to think about it not just in the terms of Moses. I want you to think about it in terms of what God has done for you and I, in terms of what God has done for the world through Jesus Christ. The heart of a true deliverer, who I believe that God is the true deliverer, the heart of a true deliverer will not only notice the need of the weak, the poor, the foreigner, the outsider, the oppressed, not only notice the need, but understand the need to intercede and courageously intervene. We have never known this to be more true in Jesus when we consider this. But back to this story, verse 18, when the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. So, you know, they get home. They get home early. Ruel's like, why didn't you invite him over? They're probably like, well, we didn't know a strange man. He's an Egyptian after all. Did you notice that? They see an Egyptian. Probably because of what he was wearing. Probably because of what he looked like. But I think that's important as far as the story is concerned. He's an Egyptian. Even though we know that he is Hebrew. But they see an Egyptian. And in a switch, Moses is delivered from running He's delivered from his running and given a place to rest. Moses is drawn out, which is what his name means. Moses is drawn out from a powerful, familiar position in Egypt to become an unknown foreigner in Midian. And he's exactly where he needs to be. Verse 21, Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. That's what Gershom means. His name means that. Now living in Midian, Moses can truly identify with the outsider. The name of his son not only speaks to where he's landed, where he's settled, but the name of his son speaks to the path that he's about to take. It speaks of the path that he's about to take, a foreigner in a foreign land. In Egypt, Moses had the position and the power. Think about this. He had the position and the power to possibly be the deliverer for the Hebrew people. If he would have played his cards right, who knows? Maybe he could have gone down and say, it's time to go. This has gone on far enough. But that's not what happened. That's not what goes on. Before he could stand before God at the burning bush, he had to be driven to a seat at the well. He needed to become a foreigner to know the foreigner. And if we are not forced to the well, if we are not forced to the place of that life change, if we are not forced to the place where we come to the realization of what making things wrong, making things right, the things that are wrong in the world, making them right, if we are not forced to the place where we come to that realization, we probably need to make the choice to get there on our own. If our lives do not actually share the plight of those who are oppressed, we might figure out, it, it might be a good idea to figure out how to get our hearts there. Let me say that again. If our lives and the circumstances that we are in make it so that we cannot actually share in the plight of those who are oppressed, we need to at least figure out how to get our hearts there so we can identify with them, so we can share in their story. 
Fleming Rutledge says that the church should always have a sense of being in a strange land, foreigners in one sense, should always have a sense of being in a strange land. And if we are not feeling the tension, then we are probably not being the church. Moses might have been hardwired to deliver. He might have been hardwired to deliver, but he needed to be drawn out. He needed to be drawn out to, to not only experience deliverance himself, but to understand what it means to actually need it. He needed to be drawn out to not only experience deliverance for himself, but to learn how to live as one who actually needs it. He had to own the role of a foreigner and an outsider. To know the story of the outsider, to know the story is one thing, but to share in the story of the outsider is completely different. And we have many opportunities as the church to share in the stories of outsiders. This is what we do. This is this is who we should be. This is what we do when we live a life of love and compassion, as Pastor Jeff spoke on last week. This is what we do when we enter into people's lives and they enter into ours and they enter into our church. This is what happens when we show grace to our neighbor. This is what happens when we love our enemy. This is what happens when we welcome the outsider. Rather than ask them to look like us, we identify with them and we enter into their story. This is the new path for Moses. And it gives him the ability to look more like the deliverer that God is calling him to be and that, God, that he is going to need to be. The deliverer that God will draw out to help make things right. The beginning of Moses' story involves tragedy, but it is not a tragic tale. You would think that the mistakes he made would cancel him out from being a servant of God. You would think that's the case, but it is not. In fact, it was the opposite. Over the next 40 years, Moses would develop this humble inadequacy so that he'll, he'll realize that God alone can deliver and that he needs to depend on him. And it seems like, because it's just a few verses, that, that, these, uh, that this story is just you know, skimming the surface of what's going on with Moses. And when we get to the end of it, we even take a... a, a a longer step back. We pull back and we get the perspective of what's going on from God's perspective. Verse 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Pharaoh that wanted Moses dead, he is now gone. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. As Moses spends the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd in, in the desert, raising a family, living as a foreigner, the sounds of the Israelites groaning was reaching the skies. The cries of the Hebrews was going up, and God hears. The king of Egypt who knew Moses had died, but the slavery had never stopped. The cries of the oppressed were calling for help, and God was ready to enter into their story and make things right. And if you can remember one thing from this sermon, if you can remember one thing from this, remember this, that your desire to make things right is a godly desire. You see the wrong in the world around you? That is a godly desire. But I would say even more than that, 
when it involves the deliverance of the oppressed, the outsider, the weak, the less fortunate, that desire that you have to make things right, when it is connected with deliverance, is directly connected to the heart of God. It is directly connected to the heart of God. A God who, in these verses, it says, hears the cries of the oppressed, remembers his promise to them, looks upon them, and knows exactly what they need. This is the God that we can trust. This is the God that we can trust, but not only that, it is the God who sets the tone. This is the God that we can trust for our own salvation and deliverance, right? This is the God that we can trust for our own deliverance, and I don't want to minimize that. Praise, praise be to God for the salvation that I can experience in Jesus. But even more than that, it's, it's, it's the God that we can trust, yes, but it is also the God who sets the tone for what it looks like to truly make things right. And deliverance is part of the deal. What would happen if we heard the cries of the oppressed, the outsider, the weak, and lived as God's promise toward them by looking at them and helping them with what they need? And I want to tell you this. I am preaching this sermon to me first, and hopefully you're getting something out of it. But I am preaching this to me because I have so much to learn about what this looks like. But I am convinced that making things right in this world has to include deliverance. Deliverance has to be on our hearts. It has to be in our language. It has to be in the way that we think because, yes, God is the one that we can trust to bring about deliverance, but he is also the one who sets the tone of what we should be doing as citizens of God's kingdom. And it's important that we share in the story of the outsider. And we see this no greater than when we see it in the story of Jesus. Jesus understood what it meant to share the story of the outsider, the oppressed, the weak, when he came to die for us. We see this. I am, I am a foreigner in a foreign land that could have been said about Jesus. And Jesus has a heart to make right. And that's what the cross is all about. And we have the opportunity to be a part of that. I, I saw an article the other day. I thought I'd read a portion of it to you. It's from a pastor. He wrote it in the late 70s. And he wrote it uh, because his predominantly white church had um, just baptized a young black boy for the fir first black person ever baptized in their church. And he was talking about the role that the church has in this boy's life. And I thought, as far as like sharing in someone, someone's story, this is, this, is, this is great. Listen to this. He says, this is, uh, goes into the article. He says, to love Daryl, that's the boy's name. And by the way, when he, he writes this as if to affirm the church's support of this, which just seems completely unnecessary. But again, we see things in the world that are wrong, and we're just like, man, this should just be Right? But he's affirming the church's support of this, and then he explains their situation. He says, To love Daryl will require that we try to look at the world from his point of view, to make his hopes and fears our very own, 
To assume an obligation for his Christian instruction and nurture is to commit ourselves to attempting to understand what the gospel means for him with his tradition and history. It means that from here on, we will have to keep Daryl in mind when we plan our sermons, write our liturgies, plot our educational programs. All this will involve us in change, in patterns of contextualization that are different from those which have characterized our lives in the past. We are also going to have to pay close attention to what others are saying to and about Daryl. If American society tries to treat him like a second-class citizen, we will have to protest on his behalf. Since he is our brother in a holy nation of kings and priests, if he is ever the object of a cruel joke or a vicious slur, we will have to consider this to be an affront to the very body of Christ. If someone ever complains that he is not one of our kind, we will have to respond with the insistence that through the blood of Jesus, we are Daryl's kind. So when you think about this and what it means to have deliverance as part of your desire to make things right in this world, that's what sharing in the story of the other looks like when you become part of their story, when you identify with them. And for Moses, he's forced there. He's forced there because of his mistakes. But he has to come to this realization, I am a foreigner in a foreign land, and God is able to use that in, in helping him execute real deliverance for his people in the book of Exodus. And we see that God is taking those things that are wrong and making them right. And we, as the kingdom of God, as the church, need to be a part of that as well. We trust in God, for he's the one who delivers, but God sets the tone for us as we go forward. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. Thank you for working in each of our hearts and helping us see what you are doing in our lives and in our church. I pray that you would help us to be a people who are seeking you first in your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for this time and the opportunity we've had to gather together, to sing together, to be together. We pray that you would be blessed and that you would go before us now. Thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.